heard it before. Be a man. A half decade ago, and all the way back to the dawn of time, this would have been an entirely sensible and esteemed piece of advice. Be a man. Who could argue with that? This phrase retained its influence and respectability over thousands of generations, and even was uncontested and honored well into the 21st century. Be a man. We heard it all the time. We nodded our heads in approval, even in our lifetimes. Not just for be a man, but for all of its offshoots and permutations as well. When I was in high school and college and law school, and certainly well into Obama's second term, I frequently heard the following offshoots of be a man. Man up, grow some balls, grow a pair, sack up. I think that was it. These phrases were bandied about as though they were incontestable truisms. Obviously, many of these phrases play upon male anatomy to make their point that manliness should be seen as the equivalent of strength and courage. Moreover, there were similar phrases which also were permutations of be a man, but instead of elevating the man or the male anatomy, they denigrated the woman and female anatomy. These are some that I heard quite a bit growing up. Don't be a girl. Don't be a woman. Don't be a bitch. Don't be a vagina. These phrases all basically serve the same purpose. They equate cowardliness, fear, and trepidation with man's opposite, with woman. Man equals strength and courage. Woman equals cowardice and fear. This, my friends, is toxic masculinity at its finest. Yet, I stress that it was entirely normal to use these phrases until about five or seven years ago. At least in my circles, and I was trafficking among relatively affluent and educated demographics, no one batted an eye at these derivatives of be a man. Today, however, the times are changed. If I heard someone say be a man nowadays, let alone grow some balls, I would probably recoil a bit. It would just strike my ear as dated or crass. It would have a time warp effect, almost as if someone were to say groovy or the bomb or something. But I also would question this person's worldview. Like, when you say be a man, what does that imply about how you see women? Are men stronger than women? Obviously not. And I would wonder if this person's conception of manliness is so narrowly defined. Usually, when people say, be a man, it implies some stereotypical idea of manliness. In these contexts, it usually means something along the lines of, do whatever Clint Eastwood would have done in an old Western movie. Is this what it is to be a man? To just act like a badass? To be someone who shows no fear? Who stares life down? 
who says cool shit all the time and makes life or death decisions as though ordering off a breakfast menu? In fact, we really do live in an unprecedented age. This seems to be the first time in recent memory in which it has become passé to appeal to one's manliness in order to impel him to greater strength and courage. I mentioned that, even just five years ago or so, it was totally socially acceptable to say, grow a pair. But in truth, even that era was far less masculinized than previous ages, much as your rabid fraternity brother would have disagreed. The last couple of generations in the West, with the exception of Israel, if you consider Israel part of the West, has truly lost its connection with military culture. The ideals and teachings of military life have been siphoned off to a particular sector of American society and of most Western societies. Obviously, not every young man since the beginning of time joined the military. But military culture, it seems to me, used to be the dominant culture. No, not even the dominant culture. It often was the culture. Nowadays, it is quite apparently an alternative culture which the mainstream has no access to, no exposure to. Is this a good thing? I'm not so sure. I myself am no military man. I can't say from first-hand experience what exactly the mantra of military life is, but I would imagine it goes something along the lines of, be a man, at all times. But the difference between this phrase in military and civilian life is that in the military, no one ever needs to actually say, be a man. Why? Because the be a man you might hear said on the street is quite different from the be a man cultivated in the army. Until very recently, it seems to me as though we have adulated a perverse notion of manliness as seen in the repeated calls between lay people and civilians to be a man. Yet, ironically, we have, at least in my experience, looked askance at military culture and snubbed it. Military culture may have been admired or feared, but it has not been really esteemed. We associate it, perhaps, with brainwashing, with machismo, with thick-headedness. In my own life, I have heard far too many times appeals to be more of a man or to take it like a man. Yet, very rarely, if ever, have I ever heard a life lesson learned by someone in the military. This is because, I imagine, military culture and military personnel have been absolutely sidelined within blue state American culture, as well as the equivalent in Europe. This is a shame because the phrase, be a man, is just an empty and sexist expression, which probably does more harm than good. And yet this is what has come down to us. By contrast, the real wisdom and teachings of military culture, which perhaps could be summed up in the phrase, be a man, have not been transmitted. It is as though we threw the baby out with the bathwater and then put the bathwater back into the bathtub and pretended like it was a baby. Meanwhile, the actual baby sits outside, ignored. Do you know what I mean? I'm a soldier. Never was a thug, just infatuated with guns Never was a gangster till I graduated to one And got the rap of a villain, the weapon concealing Took the image of a thug, captured a villain Willing to stick out 
my neck for respect If it meant life or death Never lived to regret what I said When you're me, people just wanna see If it's true, if it's you What you say in your rap, what you do So they feel, it's part of your obligation to fulfill When they see you on the streets face to face That you're for real The confrontation ain't no conversation If you feel you're in violation Any hesitation to get you killed If you feel it, kill it, do conceal it, reveal it Being reasonable will leave you full of bullets Pull it, squeeze it till it's empty Tempt me, push me, pussies I need a good reason to give this trigger a good squeeze you are listening to The Shrift, Life Tip 12, First Kings 2. These shoulders hold up so much, they won't budge. I never fall or fold up. I'm a soldier. Even if my collarbones crush or crumble, I will never stumble. I love pissing you off, gets me off. We can see the potential of applying military wisdom to everyday life, to secular life, in the career of Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was born in 1844 in the town of Rücken in Saxony, a region of East Germany. At that time, Rücken was part of the Kingdom of Prussia. Prussia, you may know, was a highly militarized region of Northeast Germany. Here's how you might get a quick sense of what Prussia was like. When you think of Prussia, think cold, gray, severe, Protestant, Berlin, Frederick the Great, beer, flat, gray, cold. The French aristocrat Mirabeau once said about Prussia, it's not a state with an army, rather, it's an army with a state. Yes, Prussia did kind of start the First World War. Yes, Prussia is probably evil. Leaving that aside, Prussia, with its strict military culture, indeed, because of its strict military culture, had a profound effect on the young Nietzsche. Nietzsche's life and career are great examples of how one can adopt the wisdom and practices of a military life while remaining oneself nonviolent, apolitical, and cosmopolitan. As a teenager, Nietzsche attended a Prussian boarding school. Here, the Prussian mentality was applied not toward warfare, but toward Nietzsche's study of classical philosophy, literature, and languages. While in this Prussian boarding school, Nietzsche learned how to become a soldier with regard to studying. It is said, for example, that he would keep his feet in a bucket of ice-cold water so that he could read Greek classics through the night in preparation for his exams. It was this type of rigor which allowed Nietzsche to become a full professor at the University of Basel at the young age of 24. He did serve for a brief period in the Prussian army in 1868, but a horse riding accident would injure him and leave him unfit to serve. But this would not be the end of the military's influence on Nietzsche. Nietzsche's entire philosophy is filled with lessons learned by soldiers. Indeed, lessons he surely picked up having spent his youth in the so-termed army with a state in Prussia. But these lessons were not to be warmongering or jingoistic. Nietzsche's philosophy does not advocate being a man or growing some balls. Nietzsche would have laughed or scoffed at the juvenility of such a phrase. Rather, it advocates the real, and I stress the word real, wisdom of a soldier. For one, Nietzsche's philosophy insists that ennobled people are willing to take on suffering 
because it makes one more elevated. Nietzsche wrote in Beyond Good and Evil, quote, the discipline of suffering, of great suffering, do you not realize that up to this point, it is only this discipline that has created every enhancement in man up to now, unquote. Nietzsche also believes in hardness and fortitude, writing, quote, let us remain unbreakable, we final Stoics, unquote. Nietzsche even implores us to shun well-being and comfort. About this condition, he writes, well-being, the way you understand it, that is no goal. To us, that looks like an end, a condition which immediately makes humans laughable and contemptible, unquote. A love of suffering, a devotion to discipline and toughness, a distaste for luxury and ease. Are these not the qualities, extolled by Nietzsche, which all soldiers must internalize during boot camp? But Nietzsche brought these traits into the academy, into the civilian world, into his personal experience. Nietzsche had no interest in war, in politics, in nationalism. He found all of these to be ridiculous. Instead, he spent his years either lecturing at the university, writing, or going on long, lonely walks by his home in Switzerland. He wanted nothing to do with Prussia, yet he always carried his Prussian academic training with him. The Haftarah for this week's Parsha of Vayachi comes from the first book of Kings, second chapter. In this reading, we find King David on his deathbed, giving his blessing and his parting words to his son and successor to the throne, the soon-to-be King Solomon. In this speech, we get what may be the birth of the phrase, be a man. David says to Solomon, I now go the way of all the earth, so show yourself strong and be a man. Hayita le'ish, David says. But what does be a man mean to King David? In fact, in David's words to Solomon, we see be a man from both sides. It is used in an ennobling and elevating sense, yet also in a crass, immature, and boyish sense. David follows up be a man by instructing Solomon to keep all of the commandments of the Torah so that both he and his children and all of his descendants will be blessed. Here, we see be a man being used in a universalizing and elevating way. Obviously, following the commandments of the Torah has to do with self-discipline and self-enlightenment. There is no crude, misogynistic idea behind this conception of what it means to be a man. But then, David gives us the other side. Just after telling Solomon he should be a man and follow the Torah, he then asks him to hunt down Joab and avenge the murders of Abner and Amasa, whom Joab murdered several years before. In short, King David uses be a man first to call Solomon to the teachings of the Torah, but then, in the same breath, King David takes on the persona of a mafioso, requesting Solomon to carry out his own vendettas. King David seems to equate being a man with both the refined and sophisticated version envisioned by Nietzsche, and then the cheapened, superficial version envisioned by frat boys of recent memory. Perhaps the Torah is reminding us that be a man is an infinitely profound idea, which also has infinite potential to be abused and tarnished.
Telling someone to be a man is a bit like using profanity to insult someone. It is what you say when you don't have the ability to articulate yourself, when you have some idea you wish to express, but which you haven't taken the time to really contemplate or question. Ironically, the idea of being a man has the most power when this idea is separated from the phrase. It is the phrase which should go, but not the ideals, and I mean the real ideals. In the recent past, we substituted this catchphrase for the actual ideal of manliness. Yet, in just the last few years, we have both disowned the phrase and presumed in our haste that the ideal of manliness standing behind it is just as putrid as the phrase itself. Can we ever put the baby back into the tub without getting bathwater all over the floor? Today, it seems, the use of the phrase be a man is almost an admission that you have no idea what manliness entails. Ironically, saying be a man nowadays reveals you as someone who is not a man. Nietzsche, we might say, was a true soldier because he held on to military values while shunning military pursuits. A real soldier would never tell someone to be a soldier because a real soldier would be mature, disciplined, and hardened enough to know that this phrase is more of an excuse than an exhortation. He or she would know that anyone who expects to just suddenly be a soldier has not the slightest idea what kind of long, hard-fought cultivation being a soldier actually requires. A real soldier would, in short, be willing to laugh at the idea that there is such a thing as a real soldier. The same goes for a real man. In the second century BCE, the Stoic philosopher Epictetus wrote a tiny book called the Enchiridion. This book is so small that it can fit in your front pocket. And so, my life tip for this week is for you to go out and buy a copy. This book contains about 50 short pieces of advice from the ancient Roman Stoic philosopher Epictetus. This advice is not for men, not for soldiers, not for women, but for all people. This is because any teachings which relate to being a man should be just as applicable to women. In short, the phrase be a man in a perfect world would really mean to be an adult or to be a soldier. Most critically, the teachings of Epictetus have nothing to do with war or weapons or conquest or the military or manliness, quite the contrary. It is about self-restraint, control of emotions, gratitude, self-love, and acceptance. Yet, not coincidentally, soldiers have carried Epictetus's Enchiridion with them into battle for millennia. Soldiers carry it with them because they know it will remind them how to be a soldier, a man, a human. They know that the best books on war have nothing to do with war at all. They won't budge, I'll never fall or fold up I'm a soldier Even if my collarbones crush or crumble I will never slip or stumble I'm a soldier These shoulders hold up so much They won't budge, I'll never fall or fold up I'm a soldier Even if my collarbones crush or crumble I will never stumble